in all honesty, being a writer has been a saving grace because the thing is you can always write. You yeah. can write anywhere, anytime and create something. Uh-huh. When when you're an actor, I think it's really difficult because you kind of have to have somebody else allow you to do your job. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Confessions of an Actress. I have an interview this week. Are you guys excited? I know it's been a while. Um, I have the amazing Ashley Griffin who I don't actually know. Um, we don't know each other at all. Uh, we know each other in the world. Uh, she's seen me on stage and I um, I know of her through friends and she's lovely. I just had such a great time talking with her. Ashley is a performer and a writer, very accomplished. Uh, she has appeared off um, on and off Broadway as well as in TV and film in New York and LA, London and Chicago. I mean, she's done a lot. And she's just lovely. I just had such a great time getting to know her. And I really, that's one of the things I love about this podcast and doing this podcast is it gives me the opportunity to meet people um, who, you know, maybe in the world I would get a chance to meet. But it just, you know, I'm such a fan of this industry and I'm such a fan of the artists that are in it. Um, that I just, it was just really great to meet her. So I'm not going to really go on and on because, uh, this interview is awesome. I had an awesome week. Um, there's a lot of great things happening and you guys have heard enough from me over the past three weeks. So I'm just going to get to the episode. Are you ready to the interview? Okay. So Ashley Griffin official.com. If you guys want to know more about her and you can follow her on Instagram, Twitter, and all of that. So let's just get to it and um, enjoy this episode, you guys. Yeah, thank you for, for talking to me today. Oh my gosh, <laughs> of course. I'm, I'm honored. Yeah. No, I, um, like I said, we don't know each other, but we're going to get to know each other with this, uh, with this interview, conversation, yeah. whatever it is, uh, confession. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, and I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. I saw you in 42nd Street and we oh. obviously have a lot of mutual friends and I've heard nothing but the most wonderful things about you. So I'm just, I'm very excited to finally get to connect with you. Oh, thank you. You know, yeah. it's funny. It, thank you. I, I, um, you know, 42nd Street is just kind of, it's almost 20 years since that wow. show. And they, they just did a, uh, there's going to be a PBS, um, great performances of the London production, which oh, is wow. basically a carbon copy of our revival. Um, in fact, it it was, uh, uh, set by the, um, our dance captain, our assistant choreographer, Kelly Barkley. So if you get a chance to watch it, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to probably cry because just from like the memories of that time and, you know, that time in New York and all that stuff, but you are, you are in New York Yes. And I'm in LA. Mm-hmm. Well, I was born and raised in LA. So. I know. I know. That's yeah. that that I was, you know, doing a little a little stalking of your <laughs> of your life and your career and all of that, which is why I'm surprised we haven't met. Um, I know. But um yeah, so so you were raised in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. your parents are in the industry? No, not at all. Not um, at all. I- not at all. My mom was a professional ballet dancer for a bit, but that's my only real connection to the industry. I was just, I was that kid that like from the time I was born, all I would do is put shows on in the living room Yeah. until my mom was like, someone else needs to do this with you. And so I got put in like <laughs> a kid's class and I'm like, I found my people. So no, I'm, I'm like, I'm the outlier. I'm the one who just like was born having to do this. So. Yeah. 
I yeah. you know, I, I read an interview that you did and I was like, uh-huh. Like I kept nodding along with yeah. what you were saying because <laughs> I was kind of the same kid. Like my mom never your your mom was in the industry. If she was a professional ballet dancer, I mm-hmm. started doing ballet and I know how difficult that is in that world. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's a big thing. My mom wanted to be a dancer, but my grandmother didn't think it was a proper thing to do. Aww. Um Cut to my grandmother coming to see me uh, dance in New York. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like yeah. this is amazing. So it's um uh, we have we have now we have a, a similarity with our mom being dancers and yeah. um yeah. So did you grow up watching movie musicals like me? Because <laughs> that's what oh I yeah said. yeah oh yeah no absolutely um yeah I I my mom is obviously very into the arts which I'm very fortunate to to have had that but. Yeah, I grew up watching tons of movie musicals and going to see musicals when I could. And I love telling the story that when I was like, I don't know, what was it, four or five, I invented musical theater. You did. <laughs> I did. Um, because I, I'd like, you know, I'd seen obviously ballet and seen plays and things, but the only musicals, obviously, up till that point that I'd seen were like Peter Pan and Annie. Yeah. So. I thought that when I got to be an adult, I was going to have to choose if I wanted to be a singer, actor, or a dancer. <laughs> and I and I didn't want to. And I came home one day and I like announced to my mom, um, I've decided I'm not going to choose. I'm going to create a new genre of theater and it's going to be like Annie, but at a whole other level for adults. And my mom's <laughs> like, that exists. It's a thing. And that's when I saw my first quote unquote adult musical, which was Damn Yankees and Gwen Verdon like changed my <gasps> life. So, Oh my God. Yeah. Now, you, now you're talking to me. Like yeah. I love that. I love Damn Yankees. Oh, so much. And my mom got me a VHS of all of the old um, Broadway performances on Ed Sullivan. Oh, and nice. I saw Anthony Newley when I was like six, and oh he's God. the first person who was nominated for, let's see, best book, best score, and best actor in a musical for the same show in the same year. Yeah. And so that's when I was like, my life's mission is I'm going to be the first female Anthony Newley at like six. No nice. one knew what I was talking about. <laughs> um, that's amazing. No, yeah. it's 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 one of those things where we're, we're doing a little, a little musical theater history, but it's one of those yeah. things where... Like, you know, you, you, you latch on to something. It, it's interesting to hear you at, at, you, did you say nine years old when you proclaimed that you were going to invent music? Oh no, music? I was like four or five. Oh my God. Like four or five, something it's, like that. Yeah. It, Cause I'm, I'm a mom of two young boys Aww. and they, they, you know, I, I sometimes think like, what is, what, what is the moment that's going to influence them as to what, whatever their passion is. And it's yeah. interesting to talk to, to talk to you, to talk to people who are artists and think of my own moments in life. Um, and mm-hmm. to think like four or five years old, that's, it's, it's impacting you in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because some people seem to just kind of be born with like a calling for what they want to do. And then some people discover it later and it's, it's, I, I think it's wonderful to, to watch people go through both journeys because I think yeah. both are wonderful and very valid. And Do you think um, that that's environmental? Like, do you think that because you had a mother like you did and, and, yeah. and you, had, you had the fostering or you had the exposure to it that maybe that's why you found it so early as opposed to the people who find it later in life? I don't think it's why I found it early. I, I mean, I was like that freak kid that it just, it just was there. I mean, even at an age before I really was exposed to any of that, like the classic story my mom tells of the moment she knew I was going to be a performer was I was maybe barely two and I would stand like in the living room 
with my my index finger pointed and <laughs> repeat the same thing in baby talk over and over again and do the same movements and the same sounds, the same inflections. And I would just constantly, it's all I would do. And my mom finally was like, honey, what are you doing? And I go, the blue fairy monologue from Pinocchio. To this day, I'd never heard the word monologue. I'd never, like, I hadn't, you know, seen like a professional play at that point or anything. Yeah. I was like, what? And I take her into the bedroom, <laughs> put on Pinocchio, and I was doing the blue fairy, like, now Pinocchio, you prove yourself brave, truthful, and doing the same vocal inflections, the same movements, but in baby talk. And it's like, where did I get that? Because at that age, I wasn't, um, you know, being super exposed to certain things or whatnot. So I think that was something that was always in me. What I was fortunate by is that I had a mom who was very supportive and then took that and supported me and ran with it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think there's probably people out there who do have a calling very early and it just doesn't get fostered. Um, and then or maybe people, it gets yeah. shut or maybe it gets shut down because it's not a real job or, exactly. you know, it's not, yeah. you know, there, there's a lot of competition and, you know, people that say that over and over again, they're all the naysayers of which, it, you know, it, if you are to look at the perspective of competition right. and all those things and the, you know, the factors that have to line up, I mean, Oh, for um, sure. You know, that that can be that can be daunting, but it's also like, well, this is what I love. This is what I do. This is what, you know, yeah. This is what uh um fuels me. Going to this actually just made me think of something. When I did my first Broadway show, which was The Green Bird by Julie mm -hmm. Taymor, not by Julie yeah. Taymor, but she directed it. Um <laughs> yeah. we, you know, we didn't last very long and we were talking about she was talking about being approached about doing Pinocchio on stage. Mm -hmm. And this was back in 2000 and I thought it was the most amazing thing and I was literally like vying to try to be the blue fairy. Like I was oh. like how can I be the blue fairy? Like how oh, can I be a great blue fairy. <laughs> and she you look exactly like the animated cartoon. Oh, you're too. so sweet. Thank you. I actually, I actually, uh, in that conversation with Julie, she started talking to me about possibly. She goes, "Do you swim?" And I'm like, "Um, yeah, I guess I swim." Yeah. And she goes, "Would you want to be Cleo the fish? Like we could have oh. you inside of a giant bowl." And I was just sitting there going, "Like, um, anything you want, Miss Tamor. Yeah. Like anything you want me to do." But it's yeah. interesting because like. God, I haven't thought of that story in a while. But the blue, the blue fairy, uh, that that was something that I watched as a kid. That also just I don't know why that just like struck me. It almost makes mm -hmm. me think that like, like I know I've always thought that I had um, like a past life that was in the '40s or the '30s mm -hmm. or something. Like there's some kind of strange connection because when I was in preschool, about that mm -hmm. same age, I was dressing. Uh, you know, Halloween is Halloween oh, is coming yes. up. I was dressing up at in like pearls and long gloves. And yes. I was like, for some reason, like pretending that I was like in the 1920s. And my mom was like, yeah. what? Like I have a picture of me from that time. And just mm. like, it just was in me so early yeah. um, being an artist. But, you know, going back to you talking about wanting to be Anthony Newley, you yeah. know, I feel like in doing my research with you, you're on mm -hmm. your way with this whole first person in history to be nominated for I know and I Hamlet true like it's true and it feels like I'm making it up every time it gets said but no it's amazing like, so talk about that I mean I know I'm sort of jumping in the middle of your life but like talk <laughs> about that journey to yeah. to do Hamlet yeah oh gosh there's so many things Hamlet's been such like a, a thing for me my whole life it's my favorite Shakespeare play. It's, it's the character that I relate to the most. Um, when I was like, so 
I guess this is an interesting little tidbit. When I was about eight or nine, I grew up in a wonderful rep company out in Los Angeles called the Santa Monica Playhouse. Okay. And I was, because I started there so early and was very advanced, I ended up being like the youngest person in a lot of the things that they did. And one thing that they did is they had a guest, a wonderful guest teacher come to teach a directing masterclass. And I somehow got myself into this class with a bunch of people who were like adults and way older than me. Yeah. And the first assignment that she had was she gave us like the first page of the first scene of Hamlet and we had to take two actors and direct it. So me at like eight, you know, I'm doing my Wait, you're eight years old when you're doing this directing class? I was eight or nine. Oh my God. I don't know how I slipped into this class. I was was thinking you were like a teenager. I was like, oh, like, no, very (laughs) amazing. But I was going to, you know, do my dutiful thing of like, great, you're going to enter here and you're going to cross here and, you know, all the basic stuff. And I, and my actors started doing it. And literally, like, the first line of, you know, who goes there, she stopped me and was like, why, why are they saying that? And I'm like, oh, well, because, you know, the other person entered. It's like, well, but then why doesn't, why don't they know who that is? And like really treated me as an adult and started analyzing it. And I loved it. And it was my first education as a director, but I never got a chance to like redo the scene. So then like all these years later, I feel vindicated. Like I got the scene right. I figured it out. (laughs) Um, But that particular Hamlet, it came about in a a few ways. Um, I... I had always really identified with Hamlet. I'd always wanted to work on the character. In college, I was flat out told I couldn't because I was a girl and I'd never play it. Mm -hmm. So um, basically what happened was I had played Rosalind for this theater company. And when I got cast as Rosalind, everybody was like, oh, that's so wonderful. She's like the female Hamlet. And I understand analytically why people say that because, you know, she's, she's very intelligent. She speaks a lot. But the more I really delved into it, the more I'm like, no, she's not because there's not a female Hamlet because there's no female protagonist of a Shakespearean tragedy. Yeah. Like Rosalind's in a romantic comedy, which is great and it's fun. um, But I I tend to gravitate toward some of the other um, thematic areas. And so I started doing research about like, I'm sure like women have played Hamlet. Clearly they have. Like, let's look into this. So three things kind of coalesced for me at the same time. One is I started researching it and I found that back in like the 1900s, actually more women than men played Hamlet, like Sarah Bernhardt and Eleanor Dews and whatnot. And yeah. there was one review that said that they preferred a female Hamlet to a male Hamlet. Okay. Which I found really interesting. Yeah. Um, at the same time, Emma Watson gave her wonderful um, speech to the UN about the he for she campaign and gender equality and about yeah. how gender inequality affects both men and women. Absolutely. And I happened upon an article in like National Geographic about these people in the small, small areas in Eastern Europe called sworn virgins, who in these communities, women are not allowed to be heads of household or own property or whatnot. So if a family finds themselves in a situation where there's no man to take on that role, a woman can become a sworn virgin. They never marry or enter into a romantic relationship and the community gives them the rights of a man and they live their life as a man. Okay. So... I came up with this idea that I didn't know if it was going to work, but I was like, well, what if Hamlet was a woman raised as a man for succession purposes? Oh, fascinating. And and then the flip side of that, because I also have a lot of wonderful male friends and I'm like, just like there's no female Hamlet, there's no male Ophelia. And I'm like, well, what would happen if Ophelia was a man who was bullied for being too sensitive? And I'm like, let's just read the play with that in the back of my mind. 
and this I is read so, it. This is so fascinating. I'm like, just my mouth is hanging open if you could oh. see me. If we were in the same room, I'd be like, oh my God, this is so great. Okay, keep going. <laughs> well, so I went through and I reread the play because I'm like, this might not hold hold up at all. Yeah. And it shockingly made things about the play make more sense. Oh. Suddenly, all of Hamlet, all of Hamlet's kind of misogynistic lines of like frailty, thy name is woman became self-directed. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly all these lines to Ophelia of like, you speak like a green girl and whatnot became these like, you know, man up, stop being a sissy kind of a thing. Totally. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this actually makes things about this play make a lot more sense. And so I I went through the play again and I really sort of analyzed like, what is my actual concept? And I felt like the heart of what I wanted to say is we're all Hamlet and we're all Ophelia. So that led me to, you know, what other changes in casting would I be interested in? What I ended up doing was kind of in general keeping Hamlet's peers in the same gender relationship. So um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern became the, the Regina George and Gretchen Wieners of Wittenberg. Okay. Um, Horatio <laughs> became the only woman in the military. Nice. And I love the I mean, mean girl reference. I mean, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, this is well, fascinating to me. Well, which is fun because the thing I feel really blessed by is my mom exposed me to Shakespeare at a young age because yeah. she didn't ever want me to have the experience of being like in college and not really understanding it and it being a problem. So I was never scared of Shakespeare. I kind of learned it as another language. I knew all the mythology and whatnot. So I never had Shakespeare on this like unattainable pedestal for me. Yeah. It was like, I adore Shakespeare. I love it, but it's, it's a play like anything else. So I was never like terrified of it. So I was like, well, what what are the things that need to be illuminated in, in the text that modern audiences don't necessarily get? And little things like, you know, who are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern? Well, well, you know, they're the toadies at Wittenberg. They're kind of the fake friends. Like, well, what's the modern day equivalent to that? Yeah, absolutely. So I went back to this theater company and I proposed this concept with the idea that I would play Hamlet, but somebody else would direct it. And they thought about it and they came back to me and they said, we'll produce it if you direct it and are in it. Both. Oh my God, that's so and awesome. So it was not my idea. And I was like, wait a minute, I don't know if this is a great idea or not. And they're like, well, here's our thinking. They're like, your concept is obviously really strong. A director and the actor playing Hamlet obviously have to be very, you know, in sync from the get go for any production of this to work. And we just think it would be more trouble than it's worth for you to try to communicate this vision to somebody else. So I went away and thought about it. And at the time, I was very fortunate. I got to, um, Gabe Barry, the director, is a dear friend of mine. And that's I love our, him. That's our connection, by the way. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love Gabe. <laughs> we'll talk Gabe. about that in a second. But I love uh, Gabe so much. Gabe so much. Gabe like, changed my life. By oh, my God. He's yeah. wonderful. He's lovely. Um, but at, at the time, he was directing himself playing Cyrano in a production of Cyrano. And yes. so I got to help a little bit and observe his process and how he did that. I also watched all of the director's commentary on the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet and uh-huh. to see how he did it. So I basically, I went back to the, the team and I said, I will do this on the condition that you get me a phenomenal stand-in. And they said, great. And so I'm like, all right. So we then, we did it um, and it did so well that it came back the following year and it was hugely successful, nominated for a bunch of things. We did outreach to a bunch of schools um, and I'm in talks to bring the show back, which I would I would love to do. But that's sort of where the concept came from. And then- we did a lot of exploration and I, you know, just figured out, you know, how I wanted to execute the vision. But the beautiful thing about Hamlet and Ophelia is um, visually they look like potentially a gay couple. They're actually a heterosexual couple. Hamlet looks like they could be a trans person or Uh a butch lesbian. And so the idea is that like, you know, when you see the photos that, that my goal fortunately was what seems to really come across, which is, you know, we're all Hamlet and we're all Ophelia and yeah. we have 
all these young men that came up who were like crying afterward, like I'm Ophelia and I never realized it. And the same thing with women of like, I'm Hamlet and I never realized it. Um, and it just illuminated these things in the text that were really interesting. And so, and except for those few um, character reversals of gender, everybody else was quote unquote gender appropriate. Um, and it was exhausting and the most extraordinary experience. I was just going to say this, uh, this, this, uh, you know, I'm sure just the, the adrenaline rush of doing this, you know, in, in the process yeah. of it, directing it, starring in it and then performing it and then having the people come up afterwards and talking to you about it and the effects of that, like the, the, the way to come down from that every performance was probably exhausting in itself. But yeah, I know you, yeah. you started this interview saying you're a fan of me. Now yeah. I am a massive fan of you oh, like thank I, you so much. I'm sitting here going oh my god this is amazing and the way that you I mean th- this also goes back to your mom fostering you um yeah. and 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 exposing you to Shakespeare to the point where you have such an understanding of it and such mm-hmm. a um open mind in terms of you know, gender and, and, and all of the things that you said in terms of, of people identifying, um, the trans, you know, trans people identifying and, and, and the gay community identifying and all of those things that are so relevant now. Yeah. It's just amazing. I, I, I don't know why this couldn't, you know, go beyond where it was to, you know, a bigger stage and be filmed and all of those things. Like that's where well, my thank you. That's where my love, brain was going. <laughs> I would very much love to do that, and I'm I'm talking to some folks, but I would really love for that to be manifest and, and happen because it was, it was it was a really special project, and it was very minimal. I mean, we did it on a bare stage, except for a projector, two chairs, and a fake security camera. Like that's, that's all we used. Oh my God. Yeah. The most minimal cast that we possibly could with, um, with Hamlet, we had a cast of 10 and a lot of people doubled up. So it was, it was really pared down and nice. It was, it was a really, it was a really special production to do. And we had phenomenal cast members. So. And to have it have such an impact and, and be, you know, a producer's dream in terms of the expense of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I say that yeah. from the business side of it, anybody listening, let's just, oh, let's, let's start the ball, the ball rolling for this to happen. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now going to Gabe Barry. Gabe, um, yeah. Oh my gosh. So Gabe Barry directed a production of The Jazz Singer. And oh, if you've listened yeah. to the if you listen to this podcast, I interviewed Sam Harris, who played Al yeah. Jolson in the the Jazz Singer. And Gabe Barry was the director of that. Mm-hmm. And his wife, Trisha. And I mean, I I have I have loved them for, oh my God, it's been 20 years. Yeah, because oh, it was yeah. 1998. So yeah. I haven't seen him in a while, but he is probably one of the you know, he is he is one of the first directors I ever worked with in New York, but he's one of my favorite directors. Oh, he's, so he's a dream. I mean, I I say I've been to the Gabriel Berry Graduate School of Writing and Directing. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, have, I, mean, I I feel like I really learned how to be a director from watching him, and he's directed my work, which I'm so fortunate to have had that. But he became my mentor, like basically when I was still in college. Awesome. And I also, I also feel like I learned, I came into my own as a writer through working with him as well. And he's just a genius. Like anybody who has any opportunity, not just to work with him, but just to be in a room with him, like yeah, please do. He's absolutely. brilliant and so kind, just a kind human being. Yeah. He is, so, a, he is, he is amazing. Gabe, if you're yeah. listening, we love you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So that, so, so Hamlet's going to happen. That's going to mm-hmm. happen. I'm putting it out in the universe. Awesome. Um, you know, 
God. And, and, and now I, I'm looking at my notes and, and that was smack dab in the middle of <laughs> my notes about, about your, your career. What are you working on now? Cause I know you just, you just finished the play trial, which you mm-hmm. received the award for, which yeah. you wrote, um, yes. you're a performer and a writer and a director, mm-hmm. which I think is amazing. I mean, I did wear all those hats is just phenomenal. Um, but yeah, what are you working on now? Uh, well, trial is is my central focus, and um, we had a really successful sold out run at the American Theater of Actors, directed by the amazing Lori Petty, who I'm very fortunate to count as a dear friend and collaborator. Yeah. And in all honesty, we're we're in conversations about a transfer for it, and so there's not a whole lot specifically I can say about it, but I'm just okay. in. <laughs> a lot of meetings with a lot of really phenomenal people. So the idea is the the idea is to transfer it, and I really hope that that happens soon. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing I'm working on. I have a lot of irons in the fire because you know you, you know being a writer and performer and stuff, you kind of always have to be figuring out yeah, what the next always. thing is, and it takes years sometimes for things to come to fruition. Um, I am an actor on a couple of TV series. I have a show of mine that's going up at the triad in January. I have a producer for another play of mine that it's the show slated to go up a year from now. Um, I'm the ghost writer on a couple of projects. I'm directing a show that's going up in February. And those are sort of the immediate things. And in addition to that, I have a few other plays in development that some lovely, important people are looking at and I'm auditioning all the time. And so there's sort of a lot of things that I'm kind of a lot of balls I'm trying to keep in the air. Yeah. Or I always like to say spinning plates, a lot of yep. plates are spinning. So how do yeah. you balance all of that? How, I mean, you know, this is kind of going to um, yeah. the life of being an, an actress and an artist and like, how do you really balance all of the, the, the mental game of it and then the physical yeah. game of it? Um, it's, it's tricky. I mean, part of it is I just, I really love doing this. So like, mm-hmm. like in terms of writing, writing for me is my reward. So I, I mean, in, unless I have a specific deadline and I have to get something done by a certain time, it really, it's, it's almost like a motivator for me. Like, I, okay, I got to finish all my emails and I got to get all this other stuff done because then I get to write. Yeah. And I, I will write anywhere, anytime. I always have paper with me. I will write on the subway. I'll write at work during my day job um, and anywhere. So, so doing all this feels like a reward and it's something I enjoy doing. So I, you know, I do it a lot. Um, it doesn't feel like a job is what you're saying. No. It's something that like, you know, you've got your side hustle that you're doing. That's a job, but then yeah. you get, to, but then on your lunch break or in between whatever you're doing, like you get to do what you love. So it's not like Absolutely. you're, it's not a task. It's something that you're like, can't wait to do. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, keeping track of all the projects can get challenging. Um, <laughs> yeah. but I'm, al- I'm also good at getting things done quickly. Like that's, that's something that I've, I don't know. I'm not, I'm like the opposite of a procrastinator. Like I get things done immediately. Yeah. So some of that might come from, you know, being a professional performer who also went to a performing arts high school where like there isn't time you have to utilize every second of every day and get stuff done. So because, because that, that is something that's like the, uh, you know, everybody says like, Oh, I have all these projects, but nothing's ever, nothing ever gets done. It's like the the typical artist, like, you know, it's like, you're just waiting for inspiration or whatever. But I feel like, is that the, is that kind of maybe the way that you're wired? Because I'm wired the same way. I also come from a professional dancer background where where you you have a task, you get it done. Like I just have it, that, that kind of type a way about me, but yeah, you always been wired that way. I think a lot of it is just how I'm wired. My mom also instilled a really great work ethic in me of like, 
like, you know, get the thing done now and then you'll have time to like do what you want Yeah. instead of, instead of putting it to the side. That's the ballet dancer in her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. You, and, can't, and- you can't be, you can't be successful in ballet without having that get it done now and, you know, rest later it, right. mentality, I feel like. Yeah. And I'm also someone, I've never really been one who enjoys like vegging out in front of the TV. Like even if I am trying to veg out watching something, I'm the kind of person that will like watch inside the actor's studio or watch master classes. And See, we're that- the same person, Ashley. We're yeah. so- <laughs> I, I will sit down for a specific thing, but I can't veg out in front of the TV either. I have no. to like, and I used to watch inside the actor's studio all the time. Yeah. It was like thing. I used to actually go to the new school and watch oh. the tapings back in the day. I watched like yeah. the four hour tapings. I would just sit there and just take notes and like absorb it all and all that. So That's yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah. That, that was my binging, if you will. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it can be problematic to a degree because I, you know, I don't really have breaks and I don't really have time that's sort of being taken off and, and I probably need to do that more, but I also really enjoy doing this stuff. So do you find that you yeah. have a hard time like letting go and have like going to a party and just be just like having fun as opposed to working, like doing stuff? I do, but I think that some of that is linked to the fact that I'm actually really introverted and mm-hmm. I also have synesthesia. I have like 12 different kinds of synesthesia. And what, the, what's so that exactly? Synesthesia is a thing where the best, the easiest way to describe it, I guess, is it's like a blurring of the senses. So okay. there's like hundreds of different kinds of it. But for example, some people, when they hear a word, they will taste something in their mouth. Um, some people, okay. when um, feel things on their skin, letters and numbers have color. So it's, it's this interesting kind of blurring of the senses. It's great. It can be very creative. It can also be very overwhelming. Yeah. So um, for example, one kind that I have is when I hear sounds, I feel physical sensations. And so I don't always do the best with really lo- loud inharmonic sounds, like the kind of loud chattering that you would hear at a party so like at parties I tend to gravitate towards standing near a speaker or whatnot where there's music playing and that combined with me being a little more I can be extroverted when I when I need to be but me sort of left to my own devices I'm more introverted so I I do much better when I'm in smaller groups or one-on-one but big parties and whatnot have never been a way for me to to wind down yeah no I'm I'm with you on that I'm I it's interesting because I will have moments of being on stage is where I'm comfortable. I'm, yeah. I, I can be, um, you know, in front of a big crowd, but a lot of times when I'm at a, at, at something where I'm in a huge crowd, I kind of feel the same way. And I don't know if it's cause I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm hypersensitive. I feel yeah. like a lot of artists have, have a, um, they're in touch with their senses more, mm-hmm. more so than the general public, I guess. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting hearing you say that I'm like identifying like a few of my friends who are, you know, they seem like they can be extroverted, but most of the time prefer to be in, um, a smaller setting. Yeah. And I'm sure that's not just, that's not the only part of the condition, but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's that I, I, I always go back to when we have, when we're artists and we have a bunch of things on our plate, and we're doing a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, I gave myself the shingles when I was 14. Oh my gosh, that's from, horrible. From stress. Horrible. Like I didn't even know what it was. I was like, what's happening? I, But I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, this is not normal for a 14-year-old to be giving themselves the shingles. And I was yeah, like, what's the shingles? Yeah. So um, it was completely brought on by stress, but it was completely brought on by 
me going to school at the same time in competition dance, at the same time doing theater, at the same time just couldn't relax. I had to do. And it wasn't because anyone was forcing me. I was forcing everyone else. I was like dragging my mom to dance class. Like I, you know what I mean? Like I was dragging her to the theater. I wanted to do it because it was just this like this fire in me, which I feel like it's still there. It's been doused a little bit as, as Mm -hmm. age does and as experience does. But just, just in talking to artists that are out there right now, like how, how you balance all of the things that are that you're doing, being a performer, a writer, having yeah. all these projects. Also the disappointment of waiting for them to come to fruition. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating. And I think in all honesty, being a writer has been a saving grace because the thing is you can always write. You yeah. can write anywhere, anytime and create something. Uh-huh. When, when you're an actor, I think it's really difficult because you kind of have to have somebody else allow you to do your job. And you do. I, you need yeah. someone to give you a job. You you yeah. can't just like stand in a room and act. You're like, right. okay, this is yeah. not fun. <laughs> and it's kind of true with other things. I mean, directors and designers and stuff, it's true to a degree too, but it, I think it's the most true with actors. And I think that's why it's so hard. And because even in, even if you're coming on a project as like the first person to originate a role, the show has already been created. The production team's already been working together for a while. You're still the last person being brought on. Yeah. And, and there's this feeling of, I really need to be what you need so that I can do my job. Um, and I think it's really difficult. And so it's been a real saving grace to be a writer and to be doing these other things. Cause I can, I can always go in my room and write. Yeah. And um, that, that is true of people who are um, creating things. If you're a songwriter, if yeah. you are a composer, if you are, you know, um, you, you, you're, you work on your own so yeah. you can create on your own and you can always kind of dive into that. It's, um, it's, it, it's something that I said years ago. I was like, they only, I, I can only act if I, I, they let me, meaning like right. I, I need to get a job. Like I, I, I want to be on set or I want to be on a stage, but you know, I have to have someone create something and then I have to then book it. And right. it's so true in, in being just an, I, I don't want to say just an actor, but being just an actor, you are coming yeah. into a project late in the game. And a lot of people, um, if you're just starting in the industry, sometimes they think the actor is the most important person. Right, right. <laughs> not true at yeah. all. You know, you're you're a part of a puzzle. So, um, yeah. so talk to me. I'm going to switch really. I'm going to go back to when you were eight because I read yeah. this story and I love – I want to hear about this story okay. of going to a Star Trek convention and meeting yeah. Patrick Stewart. I, I know you yeah. you said this in an interview, but – Please tell me about that encounter and what that was. <laughs> sure. Well, it actually has gone on because Patrick's now a dear friend and mentor of mine. Oh my God, you are that is amazing. Gabe yeah. Barry and Patrick Stewart. That's Patrick that's Stewart. It. you're done. That's like the most amazing combo of people <laughs> to be surrounded so, by. So my mom and I started watching Star Trek The Next Generation primarily because I was re- it was right th- at the time that I got really into Shakespeare and my mom knew that Patrick was <laughs> I can call him Patrick. He told me I can. I, uh, um, Mr. Stewart. You probably still want to call him Mr. Stewart. Oh, I know. I know. I, I called him that for a while and he was like, please don't. No, stop. Um, <laughs> but she knew that he was a Royal Shakespeare Company actor and they yeah. did a lot of Shakespeare on the show. So that's why we started watching and I'm a huge Trekkie, Trekker. There's yeah. a lot of debate in the community. Um, <laughs> but my mom took me to a Star Trek convention because he was speaking. And so we were in, you know, the giant 
room and he was, you know, giving his wonderful talk. And then they took audience questions. And I did not tell my mom I was going to do this. There's a photo where she looks like shell shocked. And I'm just standing there very confidently, like with this mic, they rush up to me because I'm the kid, obviously. And I stand up and I said, um, Mr. Stewart, my name's Ashley, and I'm going to be an actor when I grow up. And the whole audience burst into laughter. And he stopped them and he said, no, she's serious. Listen to her. Good for him. And, and I said, I watch The Next Generation because I know that you're an RSC actor. And I know you've obviously done a lot of theater and a lot of film. Um, I was wondering what your advice would be for me in terms of training. I have a, at the time I had, you know, an agent. I was going on a lot of film and TV auditions. I'd also you know, started in theater. Did and you I said, speak this eloquently when you were eight years old? Because I'm, okay. I'm, I kind of have a vision that you did. <laughs> apparently, apparently I did, and I was really like, could you? Please? I was just wondering what you would advise in terms of my training if I should focus more on TV and film or theater. Yeah. And he spent the rest of the time answering my question. And oh my god, I love it. And he was basically like, theater will get you prepared for anything that you have to do. And in all honesty, as a result of that conversation, I ended up moving a little bit more away from film and television, focusing on theater. And that's when I started doing a lot of performing of Shakespeare. And I made my Shakespeare debut playing Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream when I was 11. Oh my God. Does he know, and, does he know the pivotal moment that he created with that conversation? He, he does because we ended up staying in touch. So after that, a couple years later, he was doing his one man Christmas Carol and my mom and I went to see it. Yeah. And he's, he's not a big stage door person. He, he is a little skittish at the stage door, completely understandably. But I was there and it had been like a few years and I was still a kid and he recognized me and he came up to me and he talked to me and I told him sort of what had been going on. And then several years later, I was in college and he was on Broadway and I went to see his show and I waited by the stage door and he recognized me again. Like oh my God. he has like a photographic memory. Yeah. And I, I ended up writing him a letter that I left at the stage door that was like, here's the whole story. This is, if you don't remember, this is what happened at the convention. And this is what I've been doing since then. And this is how you've impacted my life. And he called me and was like, let's have tea, like come over to my dressing room and let's have oh tea. Oh my God. And, <laughs> and, so cool. and, and since then, you know, we've had each other's contact and phone, we've stayed in touch. And when I was doing Hamlet, he like he talked to me about Hamlet. He was so inspiring. On opening day, he sent like a break a leg e email to me to share with the, the cast. Oh my God. Um, and he's like, I'm sorry, I can't come. I'm like filming, you know, like the X-Men. I'm like, go, go do the yeah, X-Men. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you. But he's, he's been so generous in, um, in being a mentor to me and being so kind and speaking to me when he has no obligation whatsoever to, but he's really changed my life. But don't you and find that people like that in the industry, you know, I love, I, first of all, I love to focus on the generous and amazing people in this yes. industry because, you know, I always, my, um, I had a friend actually say this, I'm quoting them, but the bigger the star, the nicer they are. Mm -hmm. For me, I find, you know, I, I have a friendship with Julie Andrews. I have since, since 2003 when um, uh, I worked with her and she directed me in a show and I – there's no reason why she needed to stay in touch with me. You know, yeah. she, um, and, and that's a whole nother story, but like, she's one of the biggest stars that I can think of. And Patrick yeah. Stewart is, is in alignment with, you know, that level of stardom. And you're right. There's no, uh, you know, I guess we could think of it that way. There's no reason, but they're a human, you're a human. They see, yeah. they recognize something in you and they are fostering your artistic journey, whether they realize it or not. And, I find it's a very giving industry in that way. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And especially in the theater world, it's, yeah. It, yeah. it's incredibly, it, the, the generosity people have shown me has changed my life. And 
I, I really, it's interesting because I feel like our world there, it's such a celebrity culture. And I've I've worked with celebrities in various capacities and I've seen how they get treated. Mm -hmm. And I just wish that people would understand that everyone is a human being and, and also that it's going to be so much more fulfilling for you to meet somebody like that and treat them as a human being and have a wonderful human encounter with them. Yeah. Then, then to like, you know, be, be crazy about it. And that's societal um, too. I mean, I find that, and yeah. I don't know if you talked to Patrick about this, Patrick, yeah. no, I'm calling him Patrick. Um, <laughs> but, but talking to, I know I've, I've talked to, to, to Julie Andrews about that. I've talked to a few other celebrities about being a celebrity and how you are treated mm-hmm. as opposed to just wanting to be a human and a fellow colleague and a fellow artist in the yeah. room. And it, it, it is hard to get beyond that sometimes when you're so mm-hmm. starstruck, you are so, um, you know, you admire their work and, and, and all of that. But when you get to the point where you are just able to, um, talk to them as a human and as a, you know, another person in the industry, it is, I I know it's refreshing for those who have told me that like, it's so nice to just be talked to and not looked at like like an object or something. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I've, I've had experiences with, with seeing, with seeing it firsthand and it's just, it's just, it's just kind of awful. And it, it doesn't mean you, you can't be a fan of somebody, but it's just like treat the encounter like with respect and certainly tell them what you want to tell them. But yeah. in a way of like, you're a human being and I'm very honored to be meeting you as opposed to I'm demanding all this stuff of you and you're not a person. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's so true. It's so true. So, yeah. um, yeah. So that's, I just love that story. I'm sorry. I'm like, yeah. still like, I'm like just imagining you like hanging out with him and all that. You just, that's just, that's so cool. Yeah. I hope that in some way that kind of, you know, um, that you guys get to actually like, you know, here's another thing I'm going to manifest. I don't yeah. know, uh, you know, if, if TV and film stuff has been coming, I, I know you said you've, you audition a lot. I know that we're, we both yeah. are in the theater world first, but I I definitely do film and TV as well. Yeah. Yeah. TV and film. Um, maybe you and Patrick Stewart can do something together. So that's what I'm putting in the universe. My fantasy fantasy all growing up, I have a beautiful poster from when he did the Tempest at the public theater um, way back when my my fantasy was always to get to play Miranda opposite him doing Prospero. Okay. Um, That that, when I was growing up, that's what I always wanted to do. There you go. You know, it's one of the things that I, I constantly talk about in this industry, we, we are in an industry where it, no matter your age, no matter your, I don't want to say no matter your skill level, but you know, yeah. things can happen, things can develop and projects yeah. are, can be around the corner that are life-changing. So you just never know. You oh, never absolutely. know what's going to, what one of your spinning plates is going to develop into, um, you know, the next thing for you. So it's true. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I want to ask you about one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> Because um, I love, I love, I don't love the movie Twilight. I kind of think it's, <laughs> I, I knew that you did a, because I, I was going to ask you about comedy. Um, yeah. Because we've been absolutely. talking about, you know, such, such serious things. Not that Shakespeare isn't funny, because I know it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but in terms of comedy, in terms of like writing comedy, I see yeah. that you did a, the musical parody of Twilight. I did. At New World Stages. So I what, <laughs> do you do a lot of comedy? Do you write a lot of comedy or is it, is it sort of, um, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. How did that, co- how did Twilight come about? First of all, 
Um, well, I do, I do a decent amount of comedy. I mean, the thing is, I sort of feel like form follows function. So it depends on like what the story is I want to tell and what's, what style is best going to serve it. But I definitely, I mean, like my show going up in January is a comedy. I've definitely written a lot of comic pieces. Even my Hamlet was very funny if I do say so myself. Um, (laughs) about, um, because uh, so I'm I'm personally not the biggest fan of Twilight. I definitely respect it. I definitely understand its appeal. I kind I of not- my husband and I kind of make fun of it. I'm just well, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. which is why when you said um, you did a parody, I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. What What is hilarious is people tend to assume that I'm like the biggest Twilight fan on the planet, and that's that's definitely no. not. <laughs> okay. Um, but I'm but I mean I definitely appreciate what its appeal and attraction for people is. Of but- course, of course. I read the first book under duress one summer when the whole series had like just come out. So I was very late to the game, but I was reading it against the backdrop of two things. Um, One was it was really at the rise of the sort of teen obsession with certain musicals. Uh Um, Like there, there were a lot of articles at the time being written about, you know, like 13 year olds sleeping in the snow to get rush tickets to the, sh- to, you know, like spring awakening that they'd seen like 14 times. Oh, right. and, yeah. Yeah. And oh, like yeah. seen the rise of like spring awakening, which was kind of a new genre of like angsty teen musical, which yes. is, is wonderful and great, but it, nobody had really done something quite like that before. Yeah. Um, and I also read this wonderful book by Tim Keller called counterfeit gods about our culture of obsession. Mm-hmm. And I started writing, reading the book. Um, and the whole book is a, about obsession. And so it actually came about more because I was interested in creating a piece talking about our culture of obsession. Yeah. And it seemed like a really great way to do that would be through the lens of this story and doing it as a parody, but like a thinking man's parody that had a purpose behind it. Okay. Um, Because I mean, Bella is obsessed with this person. Like that's what the entire plot is, you know, is based on. Yeah. Um, There's questions about some decisions that characters make and how the whole thing ends. Um, but it also was playing into at the time, you know, there was the Harry Potter obsession and then hunger games came after that. And then like divergent it's, it was all like, and then like, you know, 50 shades of gray. So I just, I kind (laughs) of wanted to write, I kind of wanted to write about that. And at the same time, like I was like just out of college, I've dealt with my whole life as a performer being a very unusual type. Like people don't always know what to do with me. Yeah. Um, now, honestly, Hamlet's been a little bit more of a calling card because now I'm like, I'm the girl who plays Hamlet. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I'm, I'm an unusual type and it's always been a frustration. And I have a lot of really wonderful friends who are also unusual types. So I was like, you know what? What if I wrote a musical that's a parody with really great music and I'll create roles for people in my life who are brilliant, but are unusual types. And we can also just like use it as a calling card. Yeah. And so I did, and we did it and it started to get this like cult following and we came back and we did a couple iterations. And then I got really serious people who were like legitimately very interested, which all then culminated in doing it at new world stages and Gabe Barry directed it. Awesome. And <laughs> we ended up we ended up getting these phenomenal reviews that really got what it was about and it kind of made national news like we were in e entertainment and Perez Hilton was talking about us and oh nice i was doing interviews with ew and stuff and it was it was insane and it was intense and it was a lot um but i'm very proud of the show i think it's really fun um but it was it was meant to be a thinking man's parody of of talking about a lot of these bigger issues wrapped up in a lot of entertaining things with twilight and we and we get other things in there too, like the, the three 
villainous vampires in the first book are replaced by Harry, Ron, and Hermione from Harry Potter. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, and then the Hunger Games gets in there. Buffy gets in there. So it was really fun. It was a yeah. really, really fun piece. That so. sounds awesome. No, it's. Yeah. I, I think that I think that you hit the nail on the head in terms of, in terms of, um, you know. Um, pinpointing the obsession, you know, it goes back to the whole celebrity thing we were talking about earlier. It's, you know, it's, it's something that, and, and to think that it got all this attention makes, right. makes even more sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, but I, you know, I, I, uh, I would love to read some of your comedy. I love comedy. Yeah. I love doing both. I've yeah. actually, um, I've never done Shakespeare and I'm not scared of it at all, but I've, I, you were talking about like, you know, I was introduced to it in college as well. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I just love the, how you, how you talk about each project and how it, how it, mm-hmm. it comes from, um, you know, things that you're, that you're reading at the time and things that you're diving into. And I think in, yeah. in terms of, a, of being an artist and an actor and a, and a writer, like to, to have things come out of just what you're doing. Um, if you're binge watching something or you're reading a book or you're, you know, and having things yeah. evolve out of that is just yeah. how it's, I feel like that's how it should be, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm just like I'm. I'm so enamored of you now. Like I'm, well, thank you. you know, like I'm like I said, we were going to get to know each other, and I'm just like yeah. I just want to talk for like another hour. I really do. Yeah. Well, let's do Hamlet, and you can come be in it. It'll be awesome. I would love that. I would love that. Oh my god, yeah. I would love to do. I would love to do anything with you. Let's Aww. let let's, let's do it. Absolutely. There's tons of things in my pieces that you'd be amazing in. So let's figure it out. Figure it out. This is this is what what uh, what the tribe of of the theater actors like is. I feel like I feel like the more people that I talk to and the more people I get to know from doing this podcast um, and just and just in the community, I do find that the theater community is one of let's create something. Let's let's find a way to work together like you're awesome and no, I feel like I'm okay. Let's work together. Oh, you're amazing. You're phenomenal. Like I've been a fan of yours for so long. I'm so excited. I finally get to talk to you. Oh my God. And we will, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to talk more. I mean, this is just the yes. beginning. This is just a, this is just a slice of it, but um, thank you so much, so much for everything. Your, your um, online, your Ashley Griffin official.com yes. and yeah. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all the same Right. Um, I believe Twitter is at Ashley J Griffin and the others are Ashley Griffin official. Okay. Awesome. So yeah. follow, follow her, everybody support, support Ashley as I do. And thank you so much for this. This was awesome. Thank you. We'll have so to do awesome. it again sometime soon. Of course. Yes. I'm, I'm celebrating everything that you're doing. And when Hamlet is on Broadway, I'm going to be there or thank I'll be you. in it. Be You'll in be it. in it. You'll be in it. <laughs> I'll so be in it. There awesome. you go. There you go. Thank you so much, Ashley. Of course. Thank you. This was delightful. To support this podcast or make a donation, visit confessionsofanactress.com or follow us on Instagram at confessionsofanactress. And also, the best way to support us is to go on iTunes and write us a rave review. I really appreciate it. And remember, have vision for what you want, but be grateful for where you are. Until next week.